0: chapter 1, and we'll be actually starting with about verse number 26 or 27, right in that area. But uh, we've been talking about the incarnation of Christ. Now, let me just define again the incarnation. Sometimes that's a big word that people don't understand. When we talk about the incarnation of Christ, we're talking about the time when Jesus Christ, God... Uh, in heaven came down to this earth and became a man that he might be able to live on this earth among men and be able to die as our substitute on the cross to pay the debt of our sin to rescue us from hell that we might be able to have eternal life in heaven that's the incarnation and that is what Christmas season is all about Jesus Christ came to this earth for us to become a man and there was no other way that God could have provided that salvation for us than through Christ coming to this earth, becoming a man, and taking our place. And that is a wonderful truth and a wonderful salvation that He's provided. But as we think about this, we've looked at it from a lot of different perspectives. This morning, we're going to be looking at it from the perspective of Mary. What was Mary? What? How did this affect Mary? How did the incarnation affect her? What kind of thoughts went through her mind? What, what took place in her life? You know, Mary was a, a humble, pure young woman from the small mountain town of Nazareth in the northern part of Israel, not too far from the Sea of Galilee. And though she may have only been a a late teenager or early 20s, nobody knows for sure exactly how old she was. She was a godly virgin who loved the Lord. And that's a significant truth. And she was also engaged to a righteous young man named Joseph. And no doubt they had made plans and they were thinking about the day of their wedding and excited about the future and what was taking place. And unexpectedly, an angel spoke to Mary and his message radically changed their lives. Radically changed their lives. And that's what we're going to be looking at here this morning. Here in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26, we read, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled and had a a saying and was cast... In her mind, what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Now, as we think about this, the first response we see here is that Mary is puzzled. And rightfully so. When I say that she was puzzled, you know, that reminds me in... in my youth, many times as we were growing up, we would get a large jigsaw puzzle at Christmas time. And we'd put it all out on the table and and we'd work on it during those holiday times. And uh, my brother and sister and I and my mom and dad didn't do it very much, but mom would help us some. And we'd try working at this big jigsaw puzzle and put it together. And you see that pile of pieces there and none of them seem to make any sense and none of us seems to fit and it takes a long time to sort through them, figure them out, match the colors, match the shapes and figure out where they go and put them all in their place. It was a puzzle to us and I think that's probably how it got its name. It, it, it's, a, it's puzzling, it's puzzling. You look at it and say, oh well that doesn't make any sense until you get it all put together. And so it was in Mary's life the events that were taking place were a puzzle to her she couldn't figure them out. They didn't make any sense. And as she pondered over these things, we have no idea where Mary was when the angel appeared to her. She may have been in her home. She may have been on a walk. She may have been out in the field. We don't know where she was. But all of a sudden, this angel appeared to her. Now, one of the things you stop and think about, a lot of people have this wrong idea of what an angel is. They think an angel is just something that's bright and shiny white with wings and a halo, and that's not the Bible picture of an angel. All right? uh, the angels that appeared to people in the Bible, every time they appeared to people, and they came in human form, and they always looked like a man. And is she, she saw this angel, we don't know whether she knew right away that it was an angel. My guess is probably not. I mean, he didn't wear a badge. I'm Angel Gabriel. I mean, she probably didn't know who he was, but saw him as a man. He wasn't weird looking. He wasn't strange looking. She didn't scream. You know, it wasn't like she was terrified at his presence, but she was troubled. This is unusual. Here's a man that she doesn't know that suddenly appeared, and he's talking to her. And he says things to her that seemed unusual, that seemed very strange. He says he came in unto her. In other words, he came near to her, came toward her, and started talking with her. And he said to her three things that were startling. He said, first of all, Mary, he said, you are highly favored. In other words, you are enriched with grace is what the the word means you God has put his grace upon you not only that but he said the lord is with you and he said that you will be blessed of the lord and so three things here that startled her there were startling news to her that she was favored or had God's grace and that she was uh that the lord was with her and that God was going to bless her and you know you stop and put yourself in her own situation single young girl planning marriage, and all of a sudden this unknown man stands in front of you and gives you this kind of a message. It was puzzling to her. She's thinking, what is going on? What's he talking about? This is unusual. This is strange. And she was pondering over that. I, I thought it was interesting that one commentator pointed out that the same three things that God said about Mary are things that are also true of those who know Christ as their Savior. If you know Christ your Savior, the Scriptures tell us in Ephesians 1.6 that we are favored of the Lord. It tells us also that the Lord is with us in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, and that we are blessed of the Lord in Ephesians 1.3. And so, we have the same blessings that were offered to Mary that day. But Mary puzzled over this, and it was strange to her, and she's thinking, this doesn't make any sense. And it goes on, and it says that she was troubled. Now, the word troubled there means agitated or, or confused. And she was wondering, what's going on here? It says she was casting her mind. It's an old English way of just saying that she was deliberating all these things. She's she going over in her mind thinking, oh, no, who is this guy? What's he talking about? What, what's going on? And she's pondering all these things in her mind, trying to figure it out, trying to sort it all out in her mind. And it's working through her mind. She's puzzled about these things and wondering what this unknown man is talking about. And then the angel calmed her fears and explained things in verses 30 and 31. He said, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now he tells her, what he came for. Now, one of the things that came, goes through my mind, and God doesn't give us an answer for it, where in this little scenario did Mary figure out that this guy must be either a prophet or an angel? I don't know. But probably by the time he starts telling her these kind of things, she's thinking, all right, he must be a prophet. He must be something. Did she know he was an angel? I don't know. I don't know. But one thing for sure is she believed him and she understood that he was representing God and telling her things that God wanted her to know. And so as he spoke to her that day, uh, he calmed her fears, told her what he was talking about. But this really didn't calm her completely. Because remember, she's engaged to be married. She's pure. She's a virgin. And he says she's going to have a baby. Now that's got to be a bit riling for a young, pure woman like that. It's not the normal news she'd get, so she's puzzling over how this could possibly be. And then in verse number 34, she she comes out and speaks to the angel, and, and Mary said unto him, the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She said, how can it possibly be? You're telling me I'm going to have a baby, and this, this baby's going to be Jesus, and he's going to be the the uh, this the Son of God, and I don't understand. How can this possibly be? And then the angel explained more to her and answered her puzzling question. Verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Right now he tells her, You're going to receive... You're going to become pregnant and it's going to be an act of God. It's not an act of a man. You don't, you're don't. you still going to be a virgin and she's going to bear a child and it's going to be the Son of God. Now, she's, I think, grasping this. She's understanding what he's saying here. That her conception would be from God and it would be the power of God that was involved. It would be supernatural and it would be the... God-man that would live in her. That is unique. You know, the Jews for years had anticipated the coming of the Messiah. And exactly how much they understood about the coming of the Messiah, or even understood how, who the Messiah was, is debatable. We don't know how much they understood about that. Isaiah had prophesied quite a bit about the Messiah. Ezekiel talked about so Others have talked about the Messiah, but exactly how much they understood, but whether she was putting it together and saying, could it possibly be that that which is going to be born in me is the Messiah? Uh, maybe she's understanding this. Maybe it's starting to make sense to her. And, and the angel knows because God has allowed him to, to understand her thinking. Verse number 36, the angel went on and he said, and behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived its son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, why did he kind of add that little tidbit in there? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One of the reasons certainly was to give her assurance that God was able to do this miracle in her body that was just unbelievable because she knew she knew Aunt Elizabeth and she was an old old lady far too old to have a child and she knew that and for the angel to say Aunt Elizabeth is going to have a baby and she's already six months pregnant that was like you're kidding really her? Old Aunt Elizabeth? And so, and then he goes on he says, with God, nothing is impossible. So if Aunt Elizabeth, who is old and far too old to have a child, is able to have a baby and she's already six months pregnant, then this that I'm telling you is not so bizarre. You too are going to have a child. And this was giving her confidence and assurance in calming her heart. And then we see the wonderful words of Mary in verse number 38. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary didn't say, I don't believe this. This is far too crazy to believe. I can't believe that. That." No, she said, Okay, I accept. I believe you. Be it unto me as you said. I accept it. And she went on, and the angel just disappeared. And so Mary was puzzled. These were puzzling times with Mary. And as it goes over in her mind, and we put ourselves back in her shoes and in that culture and in that setting, there in those that mountain village and in her whole her purity and her godliness and her walk with God, and then to have this happen to her, and to realize that what the angel had said, and to think, I'm gonna have a baby. And it's going to be from God. This is going to be a miracle. And after pondering that for a few moments, no doubt she also started to think, wait a minute. This isn't going to be so easy after all. What's everybody going to say? Everybody's going to think I've been immoral. Nobody's going to believe this story. Nobody's going to believe this story. Everybody's going to think that I've been immoral. And so what does she do immediately? It's interesting what she does. Look at verse number forty. And uh, okay, now let me see. It wasn't verse forty. Um, uh, oh, verse thirty-nine. And Mary rose in those days and went in unto the hill country with haste unto the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and. Saluted Elizabeth. All right. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth lived down south in Israel, down uh, in, in, in the area of Hebron. that was south of Jerusalem. And so she was up in the north. They were down in the south. So she just immediately makes plans to go down and visit Aunt Elizabeth. Now, why would she do that? Well, nobody knows for positive, but I can think of some good reasons. One was, to tell, some, she wanted somebody she could talk to about this that would understand. And certainly, Aunt Elizabeth would be that one. Because Aunt Elizabeth is expecting a baby, and she hasn't broadcasted that. We hadn't heard of that up here in the north. She hasn't told anybody about that yet. It's news to us. And now the angel tells her, so she goes down there to see Aunt Elizabeth, talk to her about it, and say, Aunt Elizabeth, guess what? And she says, I know that you're having a baby. And, and, I, and not only that, but let me tell you this, you're never going to believe this. And she tells her story to Elizabeth. And so they are there in the southern part of Israel. And she excitedly tells her story to Elizabeth. And she explains what the angel had told her. And verse number 41, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. What a a verse. Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's story of what had just taken place, John the Baptist starts leaping in her womb. Six-month-old baby. Don't believe these people are trying to tell you that it's not alive until it's born. (laughs) They're alive, and they understand. That's a a human being. And he was excited and, and thrilled, and she was filled with the Spirit of God. And it was an exciting day. And so she tells Elizabeth the whole story. And Elizabeth is excited. And Elizabeth goes on to praise God. And verse number 43, in her praise, she says, And, from, uh, and whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord shall, should come to me? The mother of my Lord should come to me. And so she's excited about this. She understands that somehow... That which is going to be born in, a, in Mary is from God. And even that which is born in her, even though there was uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, it was a physical union, it was still a miracle because she was beyond her childbearing age. And it was an, a miracle that was taking place in both of their lives. And then Mary responds in, in course with this. In verse number 46, and Mary said my soul doth magnify the lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in god my savior for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden for behold from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed for he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name so she recognized that god had done something to her and in her and Holy is His name. And she goes on in verse 50, and His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. He has showed His strength of His arms, and so on. He carries on for down until verse 55. And she's exclaiming and proclaiming and re- rejoicing in the greatness and the goodness of God. Now, he, Mary acknowledges in verse number 47, notice that again, my spirit has rejoiced in God my, what's that next word? Savior. Savior. What does that mean? What does the word Savior mean? To save from what? To save from the judgment of our sin. You know, there's a lot of people in our world today that put Mary on a high pedestal as Mary is sinless and Mary is pure and Mary is still a virgin and all these kind of things that aren't true in the Bible. Mary was a sinner just like everybody else. She was a godly young woman. She loved the Lord, but she was still a sinner. Every human that's ever been born, other than Jesus Christ, has been born a sinner. And she proclaimed that she was rejoicing in God, her Savior. Because she was rejoicing that God was providing salvation through this unique way. And she didn't understand it all. There was a lot of things she still didn't understand. But Mary was rejoicing. Now, Mary certainly was blessed to become the mother of Jesus. No question about that. God tells us that. But there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that we should ever pray to Mary, or worship Mary, or adore Mary. Those are all man-made assumptions that are not true. And we need to be careful about that. But then, And also, there's those that teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin. That's just not true. The Bible very clearly tells us that she had at least six other children after Jesus was born. Four boys and at least two girls. It says the names of four boys, and it says, and their sisters. Well, sisters is plural, so it had to have been at least two, maybe more. And so she had these other children. And so we know that she wasn't a perpetual virgin. She remained a virgin until the birth of of, of Christ, but not after that. After that, she was married to Joseph, just like a regular marriage relationship. hoken would you turn the fan down one notch, please? And uh, then we find here that not only did she rejoice in these things. But, so, first of all, we've looked at the fact that she was puzzled. She was puzzled. But then, secondly, she was uh, praising God. But then, thirdly, I want us to notice several times that Mary pondered things that took place. She pondered things. Flip over the page in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, and we find in this situation here in Luke chapter 2 that Mary gives birth to Jesus. And we know the story well in verses 1 to 3 that they were summoned to go to Bethlehem for the tax of Registration and they're down there in Bethlehem and, and they, they go to Bethlehem and the, while she's there, she brings forth her son. Verse number 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch of their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came Upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not; for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you: ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth good. Now, uh, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go even into Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them, concerning this child. And all they that heard wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Notice verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. The shepherds came. It's an exciting time. The They came to see this baby that was born there and they visit and they understand that you know, this is the Christ child. The angels had told them, the multitude of heavenly angels there and told the shepherds and the shepherds are all excited. We don't know how many shepherds. There might have been lots of them. There might have been just a handful. But the shepherds were there exciting, telling them all these things. They told Joseph and Mary the whole story. I mean, they probably told them Multitudes of times. You know how it is. You're so excited about something that's really amazing. And you just, I just can't believe it. It was just like this. We were sitting there around the fire. Um, half of us were asleep. And all of a sudden, boom, there's this big light. And this angel comes and he says these words. And then there's all these angels. And the whole sky's full of angels. Didn't you guys see that here? No, we didn't hear anything. The sky's full of angels. And we heard them say this. And they tell all this exciting news again and again. They're telling all this to him. And then it says that Mary, kept all those things and pondered them in her heart. She's putting the puzzle pieces together. The angel had told her nine months earlier she's going to have a baby. Even though she was a virgin. And this is going to be the Son of God. And now these events take place. And they've carried on basically normally, I guess except for the shame of people harassing them about being immoral. They've carried on, and now they've come to Jerusalem. And it's been a hectic journey. I mean, you stop and think about it. You moms, you could probably sympathize better than us guys could. You know, She's nine months pregnant and got to travel for three days over the trails, perhaps riding a donkey, maybe walking, most of them walked, down to Jerusalem. Down, or down to Bethlehem, sorry, to, to register for the taxation. And she gets down there, and she says, oh, you know, I, 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 I think it's going to be while we're here. And Joseph's probably thinking so too. But God had a plan that it was going to be there. And she gives birth to the babe. And the angels announce it to the shepherds. And there's all this excitement. And Mary's keep putting all these things in her mind. She's keeping them and pondering over them. Thinking, Oh, I, I was told this, now the angels say this, it's the Son of God, He's Son of David, Christ the Lord. Exactly who is this baby? And what, what exactly is this? And How much Mary really fully grasped, we don't really understand. She knew something was unique, she knew something was mighty and powerful, she knew that she'd given birth to this baby, and she'd never known a man prior to giving birth to that baby. She knew all that. But there's still things puzzling in her mind, and she's pondering over these things that are told her by the shepherds. And then we find a short time later, in verse number 25, they between verse 21 and 25, there they they had gone to. Um, she had fulfilled her days of purification for. Uh, having a male child that was usually about 40 days uh, of purification. And she's fulfilled those days. They've given Jesus his name uh, in, in verse 21. He was circumcised when he was eight days old, probably in the synagogue there at, at, at uh, Bethlehem. Nobody says exactly where, probably there. And so they've now, uh, he's, they had to go to Jerusalem to make the sacrifice. They, anytime you'd have a child, you'd have to offer a sacrifice. And normally the sacrifice required was a lamb. But under certain situations when you were dirt poor, you could offer a couple of little birds. And so what did they offer? They offered the little birds. They didn't have anything. Joseph and Mary were poor. They were poor. And who knows the circumstances around this. You know, possibly in, in that kind of a culture, it's possible that Joseph, being a carpenter, Maybe he was even having a hard time getting work because people were saying, no, we're not going to hire you. We'll hire the other guy. You, you, you're immoral. You know, you got this baby coming and you say it wasn't yours and, and you know, you, it was before you got married and now we'll, we'll hire this other guy. Maybe that's why they were dirt poor. I don't know. But they were having a hard time. They were poor and they offered their two little birds as their little sacrifice. But when they're there in the temple, Notice what happens in verse 25. And behold, there was there a man in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon, and is the same was a, man, uh, was a just and devout man, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it, came, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that, that he should, be, uh, should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now remember, the Lord's Christ, the word Christ, is the Greek word for Messiah. He said, You're going to see the Messiah before you die. And verse 27, and it came to pass that the Spirit, uh, by the Spirit, he came into the, by the Spirit into the temple. And when the, the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after this custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Verse 29, Lord, now let us all thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Notice verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Another puzzle piece. More marveling, more puzzling. More wondering. More pondering over these things. Mary's putting these pieces together. First it's the angel that talked with her. Then it's the angels that spoke with the shepherds. And now it's these words from Simeon, this old ancient man that's in the temple. And he comes in out of the clear blue and walks right up to him and says, let me hold that baby. And then he pronounces over him this huge blessing. And Mary's pondering all these things, thinking, this is amazing what god is doing this child of mine is is god in human flesh this is amazing and so these are things are going over her mind and she's pondering all of this we find one more time of her pondering as we look down at verse number 41 in verse number 41 it says and now his parents Went to Jerusalem, this is talking about Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Alright, so every year they would go down to the, down to Jerusalem for the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother knew it not. Now, that seems a bit strange, but there's lots of people. I mean, they're at the Passover. It's it's like going to some place where there's just people everywhere, wall-to-wall people. And they've gone down to Jerusalem. They've had, they've Enjoyed the feast time, and they're ready to head home. And the caravan that is headed north is ready to take off. And so they join with their family and their friends and everybody else that's going to Nazareth, and they're ready to take off for Nazareth. And they take off. And after a day's journey, they—you know—probably that night is probably what happened. You know, they left first thing in the morning, and that night uh, Mary's looking. At them, you know, have you seen Jesus? I haven't seen him all day long. No, I haven't seen him. Well, he must be with his friends, and they go look for. Do you see Jesus? No, we haven't seen Jesus nobody's seen Jesus. They couldn't find him anywhere. Well, Joseph and Mary immediately turn around and they say, we're going to have to go back to Jerusalem and find him. And they look for him for three days to try to find him. And we find here that in verse 44, and they supposing him to be with the company. And then verse number 45, and when they found him not, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking, after, uh, seeking him. And it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Now, when you read a passage like that, think about what you just read. Here's a 12-year-old boy sitting in the temple, with the doctors of the law, hearing them and asking them questions and answering their questions. And you think, this is not usual. How many 12 year old boys would be able to do that? Now, there's a couple of things that we think about as we get in, but don't let me get ahead of myself here. I want, I want to share some thoughts with you here that I think can be of help. All right? So he's, he's there occupying his time discussing the Bible doctrine with these scholars. And we see here the capabilities. I right, Think about the capabilities of a 12-year-old boy. The capabilities. And first of all, he chose to discuss spiritual matters rather than playing games with his friends and exploring the big city. I mean, most 12-year-old boys, the only thing they got on their mind and when they're with all their friends and in this excitement is, let's take a walk. Let's go see the city. Let's go. We haven't been here for a whole year. Let's go look around in Jerusalem. But oh, This is awesome. Look, Creepy place. Huge temple. And all these things. They're excited about all these things. And playing games and having fun. Very few boys of that age, or girls for that matter, would choose to discuss spiritual matters rather than play games and run around. Very few. All right. He was able to interact with adults and discuss Bible doctrine. (laughs) How many 12-year-olds today could interact with an adult on a logical conversation and talk about Bible doctrine? Jesus did. He was able to ask thought-provoking spiritual questions. That's an important one. He was able. He had the understanding he he had an amazing understanding of bible doctrine and gave amazing answers he was able to fend for himself even at night i mean think about this he was gone at least 3 maybe 4 days from his parents because the first night he probably they were he, they traveled all day and then they discovered he was gone so whether that was one of the days they were searching for him or not, I don't know, but there was at least three, maybe four days where he spent the night by himself or found a place to sleep or something, but he took care of himself. Now, most of your boys, when it comes time for lunch, they, they, they don't know what to do. You know, I mean, i got to find something to eat, you know. And, but Jesus was able to take care of himself. Now, we might think right away, well, what do you expect? You know, he was Jesus. He was the God-man. So, I mean, we got to expect a lot out of him. Now, all right, we can give him credit for that. That is true. He was the God-man. And perhaps he, because of that, had more abilities as a 12-year-old than another 12-year-old being. But one of the things that we can see is that these these qualities that he had are not out of reach of a 12-year-old young person. And yet, many times, we don't expect that from them. We expect them to be disinterested. We expect them to be rebellious. We expect them to not want to study the Bible. We expect them not to want to go to church. We expect them to do these things. But we're expecting wrong. We should be expecting them to want to do these things. We should be expecting them to have a desire for these things. Now, what this does for us is it helps us to realize that we have a huge mentoring task as parents. This is no small thing. You know, and, and, you know, my boys are all grown now. It's too late for me. I can't turn the clock back and say, all right, now we're going to go back to when you're, you know, little boys, and we're going to start over. I can't do that. But I can do one thing. I can challenge and encourage parents who still have them at home. And I can say, listen, do what you can. The time is limited. You have a very limited number of years to to instill a passion for God in the hearts of your children. And it doesn't happen automatically. It isn't just an, an automatic thing. It isn't going to happen without some desperate work involved. And once they leave home, the nurturing days are pretty much gone. They're pretty much gone. And so you have those few years while they're young. And I challenge you to devote yourself, if you have children at home, to devote yourself and make it a number one priority in your family to reach your children and put within them a passion for God. So that they would want to be able to study the things of God. And so that they would know so much about the Bible, even by the time they're 12, that they could sit down with an adult and have a, a decent conversation with that adult about spiritual matters. That's not beyond their capabilities. We need to strive for that. And remember, the one thing that you dare not forget, you get one chance. Once they're gone, you can't wind the clock back. You got one chance. Make the best of it. Make the best of it. Notice the words of Jesus. So Jesus has been gone. They're looking for him. They finally find him. And when they finally find him here, we we see here that verse forty-six. And it came to pass that. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. That's his mom and dad, or mom and Joseph. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Thus dealt with us. Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. She said, Why why did you stay back? Why didn't you tell us? Notice Jesus' answer. And he said to them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Never crossed their mind. They probably looked at every... Play store. Every place there was some place where the kids were hanging out. They probably looked, the temple was probably the last place they looked. Why would he be in the temple, especially not in the inner, inner rooms with the scholars? Why would he be there? Never drawn on him. And Jesus said, "That's where you should have expected me to be." And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But notice the next phrase. But Mary, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. Another puzzle piece. Another something to ponder. Another something to think about. She's keeping it in her heart, wondering what exactly is taking place here. My son, I know he's unique. He's 12 years old now. He's nothing like my other children. He never gets in trouble. He never disobeys me. He never does anything wrong. He's, the other ones are constantly fighting and bickering. He's never involved in that. He's unique. He's, there's no question about this. He loves the things of God. And she's pondering these things and thinking, you know, all these things are going through her mind. And it's puzzling to her. And pondering over these things and going over and over again as she ponders the mysteries of the sayings of her son. And as we draw this to a conclusion this morning, the incarnation of Christ from Mary's standpoint was an amazing part of her life. Here's just a young woman that's planning to get married, all is well, they're excited about the wedding day coming, and then all of a sudden she gets this news that she's going to be expecting a baby from God. And so... We saw last week that Joseph, what did he do? As soon as he was convinced that that was true, he immediately stepped at their wedding day till this afternoon and got married right away, took her to himself, took care of her, met her needs, bore the shame with her that everybody accused them of, and met her needs and cared for her. Their lives drastically changed at the incarnation of Christ. And Mary has all these things she's pondering in her heart, all these sayings, all these events, all these things that are taking place. She's puzzled at the angel's words. She praises God for the growth of the babe in her womb. She praises God for John the Baptist coming along. She praises God for these things, and she's pondering these words of the shepherds, the words of Simeon, the words of the, her son, and all these things are going on in her mind. Now, what have we learned from all this? You know, as we think about this, like Mary... We must be willing to obey and do God's will even when it's difficult. It wasn't easy. It was not easy for Mary. You know, t- today we, we kind of paint this big picture that's, oh, blessed be Mary. What a wonderful thing. Not in those days. What? You're having a baby. Why You, you, you're not even, you've only been married for a week. What are you talking about having a baby? And, I mean, the shame. We don't know any of that today because so much of that's in our world and nobody even thinks a second time about it. But in those days it was a shameful thing to have a baby out of wedlock. And the, the, it was a difficult thing. But she obeyed God and did God's will happily. We, would, we should never worship Mary or pray to her. And I don't think any of you would. But it's good for us to know that and know why. Um, because she was a sinner saved by grace just like we can be. And if you know Christ is your Savior, He's come into your life and saved your soul, and you've got the same relationship with God and the same cl- closest to God that Mary could have. And God wants us to have that saving re- relationship with Him. And if you have children at home, parents, God places a great responsibility in your shoulders. Do your utmost best to bring those children to a close spiritual relationship with God as soon as you can throughout their years at home because you've only got one opportunity and those years will fly by so fast and once they're gone, you can't turn them back. I challenge you to make it a top priority to lead them to Christ. The verse that we read earlier, the words of the angels to the shepherds, in verse 11 of chapter 2, they said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, a Savior. As we close this morning, the, the thought I want to leave you with is this. Christ came to this earth to be your Savior. He came to this earth to be able to die a death of a human, but the God-man, to be able to pay a debt for me and for you that it would take us an eternity to pay for. He paid for it by His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. And He offers to us salvation. Have you received that salvation? Have you received God's salvation that He offered to you? That's the whole purpose of Christmas. The whole purpose of the incarnation of Christ is to provide you and me with salvation from eternal judgment in hell. He offers it to you. Have you received it? And if you have not received it, I urge you to do so today. It's not difficult to receive. It is simply humbling ourselves and saying, God, I cannot save myself. I am a sinner. I do deserve to go to hell. And I believe Jesus died in my place. And I want Him to save my soul and give me eternal life. If you will do that, He promises to give you life. If you've not done that, I urge you to do it today.